Welcome to the Conscious Healing Podcast with Mona Loring. This is a show that marries the mystical with the practical to help you with your spiritual healing. Whether you're newly curious about what's behind the veil or you're well into your spiritual journey, this show offers a grounded exploration into all you've been seeking. Welcome back to the Conscious Living Podcast. Today, I am colliding my PR world for the first time with my, well, I shouldn't say for the first time, obviously, my Conscious Living PR work and my work as a talent publicist. I've had people on that I've met because of that. But what I mean is this time I'm colliding my PR world with my healing work because I have a Conscious Living PR client on as my special guest. David Richards is awesome. He he has such an interesting outlook on life. And I always enjoy all my exchanges with him. He's such a beautiful man to know. And it's always exciting to get male energy on the show since it's been less common for us, right? So hopefully you guys are going to enjoy that that dose of male energy coming in. And today we're going to chat about his perspective on the healing power of yoga, his experience with it, how you know he has grown through spiritual awakening after spiritual awakening and how he says he's still awakening, which I think is a really great point because do we ever, are we ever just truly awake? We're still constantly remembering everything and relearning everything truly. So I, 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 I'm excited for you guys to hear us chat about that. We jump from topic to topic. It's always fun to do that as well. We explore so many different things that when I was writing my episode description before I even got on to, to record this intro, I was like, you know, we chat about all the things. Just come listen and you'll you'll hear what we have to say. So hopefully you're going to enjoy us just kind of having a a really interesting uh, chat about spiritual work, spirituality in its sense, and universal consciousness and what all of this means. Even if you're not a yogi, I think this episode's definitely for you. This is not tying into um, very specific yogic information or practices. So stay tuned to hear about David and hear our interview. I'm excited for you guys to get to know him. David Richards is a number one international best-selling author, life coach, yoga instructor, and self-development speaker. In his debut best-selling book, Whiskey and Yoga, David shares his wisdom on finding one's purpose and living intentionally. His recently released novel titled The Lighthouse Keeper is a story around the power of mindfulness and explores the ways individuals can learn to shift their awareness to master their minds. While transitioning from a military background, David joined Cisco Systems in 2006 and shortly thereafter discovered yoga. A year later, he taught his first yoga class, realizing the fulfillment that came from helping others see their vision much more clearly, he became a certified life coach. He now works with individuals and organizations conducting training through private coaching engagements, speaking events, and workshops, including work with Jack Cornfield. Based in North Carolina, David blends elements of yoga with quantum physics to bring the esoteric together with the practical for a truly unique perspective of how the mind works in turn, creating easily understood self-development plans that create lasting change for a more fulfilling life. Hi, David. Thanks for joining me on the show today. Mona, I'm so happy and excited to be here with you. It's it's so funny because you are the uh, first Conscious Living PR client, 
that I have also had on the show. Oh my gosh, what so. an honor. Thank you. That's so exciting. <laughs> I like I am I mean, we we're talking beforehand. I am so excited to talk with you. Like I think the world of what you've done and I've been so blessed by the impact that you've allowed me to have. So thank you. Well, it's all you and yeah, you guys didn't hear us, but before we started recording, I was telling David how like all of us at the company swoon over his emails because he is just the <laughs> nicest, kindest man that puts females on such a beautiful, I, I almost want to say pedestal, but I also don't want to say pedestal if that doesn't sound right. But your, your respect towards women is just so refreshing, David. And uh, everything that you, you have to share is so wise and so genuine that I just had to have you on the show. So I'm so glad to have you here today. It's going to be such a fun chat. And people don't know, but when we kinds of crazy tangents, <laughs> and we missed all our tangents already. And I was like, we should have been recording already. Why are we I know. recording this? Just go live. I should have known better with you just to go record right away. <laughs> but hopefully you guys are going to hear him repeat some of the gems that he did. And if not, he always has gems to share. So you'll get plenty of gems along the way. But the way that I always start this podcast, or at least I've started to more recently than not, is I love for people to tell their story. And I want you to tell your yeah. story as far as your spiritual backstory. Can, can you tell us a little bit about how you got into spirit? Yeah. Um, no. So I, um, I grew up in the military and, you know, that required, we moved every couple of years. And so I just got used to this very transitory life. Um, but that journey took me to Japan. So as a 10 year old in 1979, I lived in Japan. We lived on a military base, which was all, or, you know, predominantly Americans, but there was a gate and there was a fence and right outside that were Okinawans and you know Japanese people. And so being exposed to another culture and being exposed to Eastern philosophy, even at, you know, a formative age, like 10, I think we left the island when I was 13, um, had a big impact on me. Like I came back to the States in 1982 and like everybody was in sort of this American vibe and I had like started meditating and like as a kid, nobody did that like nobody like kids might start experimenting with drugs nobody. but like no one's like yeah. meditating and yeah, i read nobody. like i read a book on shambhala yeah. yeah yeah and so um so but i didn't really know what to do with it because like i i i the book the book i read i remember was so influential because it was like i would sit because of like samurai culture and bushido i would i had bought swords and so I would sit with a sword in front of me. Like this would be a Friday night. My friends are out partying or doing whatever like high schoolers did. And I would be like <laughs> sitting cross-legged, like looking at this sword. And the book that I read said, empty your mind of all thoughts. And after a few seconds, a thought will appear. And it was the hardest thing to do. And I was like, I don't even understand what they're saying, but I like I tried it. And then sometime like, okay, my mind's quiet. And then I started thinking about fruit or something. I'm like, okay. Um, so I sort of like, I had this flirtation with the spiritual side. I grew up Judeo-Christian, um, you know, and so had, had heard stories about Jesus and the Bible and read that and didn't understand all the context and everything that it meant. But I tried to kind of balance that with what I had learned in Japan. So got into college, uh, got into the military, and I would still kind of meditate. It was more like to help me go to sleep and things like that. And... Um, and then, like, you know, it was weird because I tried to apply sort of this warrior poet philosophy to being a Marine. And, and I didn't really articulate it that way, but I wrote poetry. Like, I had a boss 
who was this tough as nails military police officer, and he painted. This is like around 2000. And I was so blown away that like a military officer exhibited artistic things does not disparage military because there is an art to warfare. And that's where most people spend their time. But this guy painted and I was blown away. And so I started writing poetry again. And it was always like sort of romantic poetry because that's always where my heart has been. And then I kind of went through my military career and I actually got recognized in the weirdest way. I got accepted to a second year master's degree program um, like with 24 people out of like a, you know, three or 400 people who applied for it. And part of the reason I got accepted was because the people who decided who came in saw some of my poetry, like what my boss, my military boss had submitted some of my poetry for, and I don't even know how I got that. And, and like, it was this weird thing because like, people were like, are you gay? It's not a big deal, but like, why do you write poetry? It doesn't make sense. And for me, that was just like this natural part of me. Um, so I got out of the Marines and I think I read, I, I think the week I got out in 2006, I read a, a sports illustrated article about NFL players using yoga to strengthen their midsections. And I had never, I couldn't tell you if I ever saw a yoga studio before 2006, because it just, uh, it just wasn't on my radar in the military. So I went to a class. Yeah gentle class didn't really take a lot away from it at least i was but i was curious so i went back to another class different instructor drenched in sweat and i was just like what happened what is that because something in my mind started like waking up and i was like oh my gosh i could be present in a moment and and not be thinking about the next moment or something to happen like i could actually focus on being present and that was like this huge sort of discovery and so I got sort of addicted to yoga. I became a yoga instructor. I didn't get super deep into the philosophy because I felt like I had sort of my own perspective from being, you know, meditating when I was 13. Um, and then it just kind of evolved until like, I was like, what is my purpose in life? What am I doing here? Like, what, how do I like, I've, I've, you know, I learned so many things through the mistakes I've made in relationships and business and you know work and whatever. And it was like, how do I like, how do I translate this into something that people can benefit from? And that's kind of, you know, what brought me really to you guys, in fact. Yeah. And so, yeah, you know, we, we talked did. about what subject we want to chat about before we got on and, you know, there's so many places we can go and possibly will go. Um, but, you know, you're, you're talking about the discovery of yoga yeah. and how that opened you up officially even more to spirituality. So, you know, how, how do you feel that yoga and spirituality tie together? Because so many people have different concepts of this. And um, I, I want to be completely honest with the listeners and you that I've never really studied the history of yoga, um, not, not, in, not in an academic sense, you know. And so for me, I do a ton of yoga. I do some yoga. I like yin yoga. Um, Okay. I, I'm, I'm huge on meditation and I do a lot of okay. stretching and, you know, it's, I do that gentle yoga. So I would love for anyone who has never really thought about yoga and spirituality together, because I think there's people that, that don't, you know, they think of yoga as, you know, it's a mindful practice and it's, it's, they think maybe stretching and they think of the poses they see, the sun salutations, whatever it is, right? Yep. But how would you explain to someone who isn't super familiar with this background how yoga and spirituality tie together? Yeah, it's it's a great question. So I think 
if you're new to the practice of yoga or even to the philosophy, you may operate from belief that you are your mind and your body. Like that, that is all you are. You are this material essence that, you know, your mom and dad got together. That's true for everybody. And in whatever capacity, a sperm went into an egg, whether it's artificial, you know, whatever, but like you're that product. And then you mm -hmm. physically grow up into this substance and that's all there is. And so if that's what you think, what yoga does is says, well, wait a minute. If you know your body and you know your mind, like who knows that? And you say, well, I know that. Okay, well then who are you? I'm the guy who owns the mind and the body. Well, okay, but like, and so you sort of awaken to this reality that like you can almost have a conversation with yourself. And then what you realize is there's this space between the observer and what you observe. And when you kind of make that discovery, you're like, okay, well, if I can step back and observe my thoughts, who's doing the observation? And that's where you realize, okay, there's something else. There's something that isn't the mind and isn't the body because I can think of a place that I am not physically in and my awareness goes there. Like that's, I can think of, or I can think of pizza and I can start to smell pizza and my awareness has gone to wherever pizza is because otherwise I can't have those thoughts. And the thought isn't that, well, it's not this chemical reaction in your head. If I'm thinking I'm in Philadelphia and I start to feel the essence of Philadelphia, then part of me is in Philadelphia right now. And the same thing is true. It's easier, I think, for people to understand when you think about how much time if you, you know, if you go through a divorce and you're filled with regrets or the hurt or the pain and it's because you had this expectation of what life was going to be and that suddenly got derailed and so now the pain you feel is this where did you go wrong what how, was it two years ago when we didn't go to dinner with those people or you know whatever the case may be or in like the year of a pandemic you're so anxious about what's happening or what could happen in the future oh my gosh are these people going to kill vice president Pence because they're about to break into the nation's capital. Is that what's going to happen? Or are we going to have a civil war? And like it or not, you can say it's a chemical reaction, but part of you is in this space that you've created. And so really that's kind of the core principle of yoga is it's not that there's just this material world. And I think quantum physics has showed us otherwise, quite frankly, that if everything's energy, okay, well then what's consciousness? What's awareness? Like that can't be a physical property if it's energy. Like it's, I mean, there's, there's, there's waves and particles. We know that. So what's consciousness? So I'm, I, I want to go back to, uh, <laughs> I, there's so many questions. I want to yeah. go back to quantum healing later yeah. because that's going to be a whole different world I want to hit with you. But it's, it's interesting to hear your definition because coming from a yogi, it's interesting to me that the definition is similar to mine, even though, like I said, I'm not, I would never consider myself a yogi. So I just wanted to point that out because I find that interesting. How, how do you feel that yoga has helped you with your healing journey, with anything that you've been through in life? How do you find, and what kind of tips would you give people as far as like, 
how they can yeah you know it's interesting because i did a very I kind of took the easiest, the path of least resistance to become a yoga instructor. I went through a program called Yoga Fit, which is a very sort of commercially accessible way to become a yoga instructor. And it's not to disparage the program because it does it in a very sort of American sense. Hey, let's make this easy. You don't necessarily need to know thousands of years of philosophy or history. And part of the reason I did that was because that was how deep I wanted to go because I wasn't comfortable I wasn't comfortable with where understanding more about Ganesh or Shiva or Vishnu was going to take me spiritually. Like, I was like, all right, well, I'm Christian, so I'm going to hold off on that. But what I came to realize is the principle of yoga is like, it's, it's really kind of so rudimentary and you don't necessarily need to know the history. And so for me, what it did for me was it like, I asked, I started asking myself those questions. Well, okay, what, what am I? If, if, if I'm not like, if I, I started kind of buying into, okay, if I'm not just physical and I'm not just mental, but those are instruments, like, oh, what, what is there? And I kind of, you know, I went in a very roundabout way and I think, you know, my dad died in 2008. And so for me, that was a big suddenly. And so it was this big kind of event and that really got me into like trying to understand life after death. And so, um, in fact, I just just within the last week started listening to this book again. I've read it twice, but it's called Life After Death, The Evidence by uh, he's a conservative writer, Dinesh D'Souza and speaker, um, but it really does a profound job of articulating, you know, in a very reasonable way, reasonable way, the idea of life after death. And um, and so like that was part of my journey. I was like, OK, what 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 is that? How does that happen? And as I got deeper into the journey, you know, part of it is you come to a reckoning. And you're like, okay, I'm either you come up against something that either frustrates you or you can't understand. And you realize you're coming up against a belief that now you're beginning to question. And I questioned some of my beliefs that kind of led me down to the path of hearing about the law of attraction and like getting in tune with the law of attraction because I heard more and more people. And it, it sounded sort of like carnival barker, tarot card reading. Cause like back when I was a kid, that was like, Oh yeah, go have that person read your palm. And like, is mystical and she looks like a you know gypsy i know that's not a good thing but that's like what we used to think of them to say and it was like you know the big earrings and the thing and you're just like okay yeah let's do this and she would say something and you're like okay sure but like as you start to sort of question your truths you like realize well everything you put out in the atmosphere is like authentic like when you look back at you know, the tension that we felt in November and then in January, that was authentic. Like it didn't matter where you were in the US anyway, like that really felt something. And so I just got to a place finally where I, I was in the law of attraction thing. I really started getting to a meditation practice that was kind of consistent, even though most of it was guided because I felt like I'd done the self meditation for my, <laughs> when I was 14. <laughs> I been there, done that. That. <laughs> yeah. Um, but um, I would, it's funny because I would get myself to the point in some meditations where um, I can't remember what it's called, where you can't wake up, like you're conscious, but yeah. you can't move your body. Like it's paralysis, yeah. paralysis, I think. I did it. I remember I did that in Somalia when I was in the Marines. It was the weirdest, weirdest thing if we talk about that in a little bit. But, but finally, you know, the law of attraction led me to everyone talked about um, think and grow rich. And so I read the first two chapters and, and in the second chapter, I think he's like, Hey, Napoleon Hill, what's your purpose in life? And I was like, what? What are you talking about? 
my purpose in life. I thought I was just supposed to hear like to try to reproduce and make money and somehow retire and be do something successful. You're telling me I have a purpose, like there's an orchestration on some level. And I was blown away, Mona. And so like I started that it was January in 2017. And I started writing out, I wrote a purpose statement, like wrote it down because that's what the book said to do. And then I was like, I'm going to write a book. I'm going to write a book about finding your purpose in life. And so I wrote Whiskey and Yoga. I wrote like 200 pages, um, threw it all away because it was autobiographical. And it's like, no one's going to care about this crap. Let me write like 10 chapter outline. Two months later, internet, you know, finished it, October bestseller or whatever. But it was like the bestseller thing was cool, but it was like, what else? Okay. I wrote my first book, which was a big mental hurdle. It was about purpose, but what else? And I'd gone to two Tony Robbins events in 2017, which mind blowing because like Tony has this way of saying it's safe to get raw with yourself in front of 16,000 people and sort of unleash your soul. And that's what, you know, I walk on fire. Like I remember, I remember like Oprah is one of his, like the people who's gone to his, you know, unleash the power within and walked on fire. I walked on fire and it did. It was like this awakening. It was like, it was this, but it was like this, it was like the CPR, like the two, like, and like, I mean, I was, I was on fire kind of. And so I wrote, like I started, like started thinking about manifesting stuff and like visualizing and as things started to happen, then it was like, okay, there's something to this. I want to find out how much there is. And so part of that was like excavating my life and sort of like looking at limiting beliefs that I had formed because of being in the military at birth. And I'm not like, and it's not like I'm not over dramatizing it, but like I moved everywhere my dad moved. I lived where everybody knew about warfare and killing. And that was how like we lived. And the only time I didn't was like a couple years, kindergarten through third grade and then college. And that was the time I was around civilians. And that was like a trip because civilians are so different from military people. And so like, that was a big awakening for me that like I had, I had not acknowledged that growing up in a military environment where I wanted this kind of stability that always seemed to elude me had a huge influence on how my, I shaped myself. And that just was like, okay, let's dig deeper into the spiritual piece. Wow. I mean, I, I can only imagine I, I I'm going back again. It's, it's always so funny when I, I need, I need to practice being a better podcast host because I get so lost in what <laughs> my guests say. <laughs> I talked for a long time too, so I'm sorry. I like to have more time to reflect, and then I'm like, oh yeah, it's my turn as the podcast host to say something. But you know, I what I'm tripping out about a little bit is just, and and I've always thought this about you, and I just find it fascinating is your military background and how you're such a spiritual person. It's just such an interesting dichotomy. It's not common, at least you know. And even at the beginning of of our conversation, when you're saying that you had. Um, was it, was, was it a Lieutenant or somebody that, that was painting, you know? Um, oh, the, no, he was a, a colonel. colonel. Yeah. He was like, painting, you yeah, know? yeah. It's, it's really, you know, it's like, man, like you don't, think oh. that, that, but of course, like there's that feminine masculine energy balance in all of us. And some yep. of us just, you know, suppress whatever we suppress and we have more of one or the other and it makes sense. But 
when it comes down to the spirituality aspect, it's like, I find it interesting that you started so early because you were meant to be on this journey. You were meant to be awake so early, you know, and I find it interesting too, that when you hear someone tell their story about how you've been meditating as a teenager like that, you would assume, oh, well, clearly they're going to be such like so crazy spiritual by the time they're like 17. And it's like, I love that it's just been unfolding, you know, gradually mixing life and interweaving life and being into it and not being into it. And, you know, I, I just think that's so interesting. And it's, it's almost as if your healing journey has been moments of being awake and and then not being awake and being awake and not being awake until it was like, bam, Mm -hmm. you're awake. So, so what, at what point were you just like, totally awake because you you and I have had some interviews. you I'm going to call you out on like some email interviews you've answered before where I was like oh and David, normal people will not understand where you just went um well I think no you know so if and I can't I, so I think if we go back to the idea that there's universal intelligence yes and and like in some ways it shouldn't be that hard a concept to grasp because we can say that there's, I mean, we're on the internet now. There's global intelligence. Like, I know that there are smart people in India. I know there are smart people. Like, it's not even a question of smart. It's, we know that you are, and I are, like, physiologically pretty much the same, male, female, human. So you're smart. I'm smart. Like, I have intelligence. You have intelligence. Eight billion people, same thing. And so if there's this idea that there's this universal intelligence, well, then there's, got to be universal consciousness too, right? And it's, it seems like it's a huge stretch, but it can't be that far off if there's been like a spiritual awakening for the past 12 months with the pandemic. And that's like, I, I know, you know, normal people, we live in two different worlds. You and I can talk about a spiritual awakening and there are people who can't get over that schools are still closed or yeah. that they have to wear a mask out. And it's like, you're stuck on something because you haven't opened yourself up to what's happening. Yeah. Um, so I think it's been, I, I think I'm still waking up. I mean, I think the reality is, you know, what I've come to appreciate is if everything I said is true and I know that like energy is contained within a space, then we're all waking up kind of. And that's yeah. why people are more sensitive and more appreciative. So I think it's levels of consciousness. And it's, it's funny because I was thinking about, I went to, I can't remember if I told you this, but I went to the Jack Canfield mastermind a year ago in March. Um, he and I had a chance, you know, we're over video because the pandemic was already hitting and, and he's, you know, 75. And so, but we had like a private moment and he was telling me about like a spiritual awakening he did and, or past life regression. He was a Roman soldier and and I was like, wow, because in one sense, you're like, that's so trippy. In another sense, you're like, okay, this guy sold 500 million books and is like this super beautiful person who has helped millions of people. And he just said that he was alive 2000 years ago or you know, 1500 years ago or whatever. And you're like, okay, well then consciousness is just, you know, consciousness is something like, I know I am David Richards. And like, I've come to understand that means more as I've gotten older and learned more or discovered more, but then 
it's like, okay, if there's a universal consciousness and I'm conscious, I have to be part of that universal consciousness. Well, how much am I a part of it? Like how much can I, how much can I awaken kind of is the question I think at this point. I mean, I appreciate that you said, you know, you're still awakening because I think we're yeah. all always still awakening, you yeah. know, and, and I kind of appreciate that you brought me back to the, the true reality of, you know, we're never awake, like completely. You're never going to completely yeah. be there. Just like once you reach enlightenment, I believe that that's when, you know, humans end because you've reached enlightenment. There's no reason to keep coming back, you know, yeah. but um, I, I find it so interesting that Well, let's go, let's talk about the example with Jack. So I, I actually want to ask you when he was telling you about that past life, mm-hmm. what was, what was his purpose of telling you about this past life? How was he playing it? It's a good question. It, he, he dropped like, you know, so you pay to go to a mastermind and that was like, I paid like a, a good amount of money to go though. It's, it's, it pales in comparison to other masterminds I've heard about, which I can't wait to go to, but it was, I don't remember how we got onto it. I think it was just, maybe we're talking about plant medicine or something like that. Or maybe I was talking about my yoga instruction. And so he had shared something and then he's like, Hey, yeah, it was this. And, but was like every interaction that I had with him served value. Like the last thing he said to me after we did an interview, like a, you know, I don't know if it was five or 10 minute interview about my book and and like we finished the interview and I'm walking out and he's like, you're a good man. And it wasn't like, Hey, nice to meet you. Take care. And since the year that in the 11 months has transpired, I'm like, I, I know what he meant. Like, I know what he was saying to me and like, it'll partly come out in my next book, but it was like, Oh my God, like what a gift, like for the money I invested, the value I got from this man. And you know, whether him telling me I had a year to write the book, um, or that I'm a good man, or that he was a Roman soldier in a past life, all those things mean something to me. And it's like, that that's tremendous value. So, and that's also like this idea of universal consciousness. Like consciousness just flows through time. That's all it kind of does. Universal consciousness is a very simple, yet very complicated concept. <laughs> yeah. And- I've had trouble having to explain it to my kids because we have really interesting conversations <laughs> in my house. I can um, only imagine. They'll catch me talking to random things and be like, mom, are you talking to us? Or are you talking to something we can't see right now? Um, you got to play tool for them. You got to play tool for them. <laughs> but you know, it's been interesting when you're, when, when you're up against the wall, having to explain that to someone who has no prior context and, I had to look back and just now even I lost my train of thought while we were talking because I wanted to remember when did I discover that? Like, I don't really remember exactly when I realized that, but I've had a number of experiences where I've been shown it from spirit, basically. Yeah. And I, too, have to say, and again, I'm not saying, you know, I'm never advocating for plant medicine or not for people. It's it's his own. But I have done plant medicine. And that is truly when I got the, the truest form of the definition of what it is because I was shown it, but I can't put it in the words. It's too difficult, but so it's like, me- everything is one. Everything is connected. We are all universal consciousness, you know, and, and at the end of the day, it goes back to even people who ask me, you know, 
well, how does somebody, you know, how is someone psychic and how do you know what you know and how do you do this? And it's like, well, it's all just this same strain of energy that's webbed together and interconnected. And when you dial into that, you know, radio station, if you may, you know, whatever that is, it's, it's that consciousness, it's universal consciousness. And something that I've been talking about a lot since the pandemic, I want your take on this, is um, how a lot of people have been really confused about what they're feeling yeah. because of the universal consciousness of the col- conscious collective feeling fear, feeling worry, whatever yeah. they're feeling and people picking up on that, not realizing maybe even that they're empathic or whatever it is. Right. And I've been talking about that a lot this year because I've been really also teaching a lot of people. It's not you just because you're really scared right now and you don't even know why. And you're picking up, you're just picking up on what's out there. And that's another example of universal consciousness. So what do you think about that and what's happened with the pandemic and people picking up on the conscious collective and, and their feelings? Uh, well, you know, I think you, I think you look at the election and, and I say that because it was two very diametrically opposed forces. Yeah. And yet like, I mean, like I have, I have talked to friends who are like, we're going to become Venezuela. Like we're like, they were, you know, hardcore Trump supporters. And they're like, we're going to become Venezuela. And I'm like, I drive by a target every day where people are shopping. There's a Starbucks people like the economies. I mean, certainly small businesses have suffered during this time, but like, I don't see like people protesting in small towns. I see people protesting in TV Granted, Seattle, Detroit, and some of the other places have had problems, but but that's a reaction between these two forces. And it's interesting because when you were talking earlier, I was thinking about plant when you talked about plant medicine. You know, mm-hmm. I grew up at a time when like the Bible toting thing was drugs are bad, right. drugs are bad, and and then you know for me when I grew up in the eighties, I turned to like hard rock and heavy metal. And like Motley Crue and the Scorpions and Iron Maiden. And then I got into Tool when they came on. And not not so much like Iron Maiden, but like certainly Motley Crue were like, I mean, they were like drug aficionados. Yeah. But you also realize like when like they started to say, well, like when the government started to say, well, these lyrics are offensive. We're going to put labels, warning labels on stuff. It's like, you don't listen to those bands because they're doing drugs and sex and all this stuff. Well, what you realize was the government and the politicians were like decrying the music industry, but the musicians were decrying the duplicity of preachers who were stealing money or politicians who were taking money or getting like having affairs with you know secretaries and things like that. And so you realize again, these two diametrically opposing forces having this like giant conversation, if you will. And so if you start to like think of it as, you know, it, it's, it's amazing to me that we realize we have billions of microbes in our stomach, billions, like probiotics, you know, the billions of microbes and all that stuff. And we think, okay, but those are part of me, not a big deal. And then we can't somehow understand that there are 8 billion little microbes called human beings on this planet. And one planet, like universal consciousness, global consciousness, it's like, it's, it's, it's amazing to me that people have struggled and, and it's not amazing that that sounds, but it's, I understand why that journey is as hard as it is because we are so focused on our differences and not our similarities. 
Yeah. And I mean, we could go into a whole different podcast episode on why that is yeah. right? yep. programming, yep. but you know, it's that, that's exactly it. And I, I'm, I'm hoping that I feel like I should say, first of all, that I've noticed a lot more people truly awakening right now. Oh, yeah. I'm noticing it. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's, I was telling someone the other day how when I started Conscious Living PR and I was explaining to people that we specialize in PR for, you know, things of the mind, body, and spirit, people thought that was weird. It was different. They were like, what? You're specializing in just that? That's your niche? And I was like, yeah. And to go even further, mainly spirit, you know? And people were like, what? Like people like that, like psychics have publicists, you know? And, And now it's like so normal and, and mainstream PR firms are starting to have a random psychic here or there that they even represent or whatever it is. And it's because people are awakening and they're realizing this stuff isn't in that box that has to stay woo woo. It can be practical and every day. And I think that that's part of everyone waking up. And I think that's part of the collective conscious heightening. No, you bring up something. I'm so excited that you, you mentioned this because like we go back to tool, like I, I've, like Maynard, if you ever listen to this, or like Danny or any of the guys, like you guys are phenomenal. But it's so interesting to me because like we listen to, like I listened to Tool and before when I was younger, I was like, oh, this is my favorite song. This is my favorite song. It's so cool. These other songs I don't really like that much. So I'm not going to tune them in really. And, and so then sort of our taste evolved where now you don't have to buy a full album if you don't want to. You can just listen to whatever song you want. But I know as a writer, I wrote chapters of a book. I didn't just put 10 chapters together and say, this is a book. And anyone who thinks that an artist who records an album just puts their songs in some order that they think is gonna sell, doesn't understand what's happening. And so what you come to realize, what you come to realize is like every album has a theme. It's a concept album, whether you understand the concept or not. And like, when I look at Tool, when the music they've done, it's this like it's this exotic journey, and it's like this super intense experience. And that's true. I mean, that's true of Poison. It's true of Britney Spears. Again, like you, what people fail to realize is this is a human being expressing their thoughts and their feelings. Even if someone else writes it, they may ultimately say, "I don't want to write this. I don't want to do this song or whatever." But ultimately, it's an expression of the person emitting the sounds. And like, that means something. And so like, when you start to waken up, you're like, well, there's messages in Tool's music. Like, you, you just have to be smart enough to listen to the message and understand what that message is. But they put the album together with a purpose. Motley Crue put their albums together with a purpose. Like, I used to think, oh my God, these guys are so amazing. And then when you realize some of their songs about like, they can't break their addiction to heroin, like, and it's a scream for help. And you're like, holy smokes. I did not understand that like the time. I didn't understand like there's a great, you know, autobiography Nikki Six did called The Heroin Diaries where he kept track of like he wrote a diary. It's actually influenced kind of what I'm doing this year with my book, but he wrote a diary on stuff that they were like while they were recording between albums and he was completely strung out on heroin and like he would lock himself up in his closet and and so then when I go back and listen to the songs that they wrote, I'm like, "Oh yeah, clearly like they are like this is a like this is a train wreck. These are guys who who have found this incredible success, but it's come at this terrible price, and now they're trying to make sense of it. 
and the music that we bang our heads to is them admitting like we're addicted to this lifestyle that we can't break out of and so like that's part of the universal awakening you just have to start to listen to like everyone any, any thing anyone says is a message of some sort or another and that includes yeah. like books and, and albums and stuff no i mean i think that when i actually started to truly practice mindfulness and listen to everything <clears throat> someone says and actually pay attention to everything someone says. Today I had this moment where I was like, TMI, but whatever. I was going pee and I had a minute to just break and not be in work mode in any way. And I literally was like, I wonder if people are in body enough. <laughs> and I started going on this whole journey in my mind during my pee break. And I'm, I, have a, I have an Instagram post. I literally want to talk about this now. But we're not in our bodies. Like we're always just so busy mm -hmm. and we're always in our heads that we're not in our bodies. We're not listening to the messages that are in front yep. of us. We're not seeing things. If we were to look into every single thing and analyze it, we could, because there's something to be analyzed. Oh, yeah. There's something that goes so deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. Right. And I mean, again, to bring it back to almost like to bring it back to plant medicine, like the fact that like those, when you see those like trippy, even like LSD art, right? Yep. Where you see those trippy artwork that just keeps going, right? Forever and the fractals and like, that's what it is. It's just everything keeps getting deeper and it's mathematically charged. And, you know, it's like everything has an underlying message. Yep. And I, I don't know, we might be going somewhere crazy. That by no, but it's, like, what? what are they talking about? But no, but it's absolutely <laughs> true. Like, well, it's just the idea that like, if you like an artist paints something and they have an inspiration and an idea and you see the painting and think it's beautiful, but like there are people who can look at the painting and be like, Oh my God, like they felt this pain or this urgency or whatever. And like, that's like, I used to think like when people even talked about wine or something like, Oh, oh this bouquet is like, it's like, okay, whatever. But there is like something there. Like, I'm like, I'm a big yeah. scotch guy and like scotch is aged in different properties and different fashions. And that has a different influence on what it tastes like. And when my first book <clears throat> went number one on Amazon, like I, I didn't expect I was so elated, but I had like this 42 year old bottle of scotch. And I can tell you without qualification that I could taste the 42 years. It was like the flavor just kind of slowed down in your mouth and you could feel mm. this age. And so like that to me is like if you want to you talk about waking up like there is really a message in everything in your life you just have to pay attention like yeah. if you start to like sort of surrender to stop trying to control everything and listen yeah. then the message is really going to start to tune in i am nodding my head so hard people <laughs> right just so you know but yeah absolutely and i think that that's where it's i just i can't wait for the world to slow down yeah. more yep some people might hate me for saying that, but because I feel like everyone was given the gift to be more mindful yep. this year, whether they chose to have it or not. And everyone was made to go inside and, and be introspective this year, which many fought and some did, you know, and I, I feel like we're headed that way more and more. I think that, you know, work culture is shifting. People are able, I mean, this is, this is coming from, I'm the ultimate workaholic, recovered workaholic in process. And like, you know, it's, it's crazy because once I slowed down and I was able to see things, like I, my kids looked different yeah. when I started to slow yeah. down, you know what I mean? Food tastes different. Your scotch is going to taste oh, yeah. different, you know, yeah. 
by the way, when you were talking about that, I was totally thinking, hey, do you want to go in on a book together and break it down as the mindfulness of alcohol? Oh, my God. I would love to. And break it down I would. I'm like, that would be I would love to. Oh, my God. Are you kidding me? Bestseller. Like, no, I would love to. I would. <laughs> we were drunk writing it the whole time, but it's great. No, but um, I, think that, I think that that's. Uh, by the way, you have to come back because we didn't even get into quantity. Oh my god, I know. Like it's <laughs> so you owe me a second Absolutely. podcast. Absolutely. But you know, um, I think I think that this this is a great message for you know, I, I always like the listeners to have a takeaway. And I think that the takeaway I would love for them to really dial into is slowing down and and paying attention to the messages. I mean there were so many gems of information in this podcast episode that if you're listening to it while you're cleaning the house and you're busy and you're not really paying attention to what you're trying yep. to hear, you're not going to catch it. But at the same time, there's also a beauty in that. If you analyze that, whatever you did catch maybe in that moment was what you were supposed to catch. You could break it down into so many different scenarios, you know? And I think that your, your comment about releasing control is everything. Yep. I think that that's been a journey and, and, and I feel like that's a message I've been downloaded many a times in the past six months, seven months now is just people need to really release control and that's what they're being taught to do. Yeah. And when we do that, you know, that's where we really start to align and live our life's purpose. No, know? it's so funny you say that because I'm actually working on a presentation. I'm giving it, I think in two weeks, two or three weeks, I might be first week of March, I think, but about leading through crisis and it's so true is, you know, so many people are focused on, well, when are things getting back to normal? And like, yeah. I've told people that I work with, this is normal. Like whatever we're happening today, this is normal. Like stop thinking about spring break three months from now or whatever. Today is what it is. And that's like one of the best lessons I learned from being in the military and like going into combat in Somalia was like, you can only focus, like only concentrate on what you can control. Because if you focus on what you can't control, you're going to lose your mind. And if it's the pandemic, if it's the weather, if it's the election, if it's the political unrest, you can't control any of that stuff. Focus on what you can control or concentrate really. And there's a difference between focus and concentration, but concentrate on what you can control. And suddenly life isn't going to be so bad because what you're going to have to do is like, you're going to have to pull yourself into the present moment. Oh my gosh, I can't think about next week. I got to focus on right now. What's happening right now that I can control and let me direct, you know, take action on that. I think we're going to leave it there for this one because I need to bring you back. <laughs> I'm down. So, I'm David, down. Uh, even though we're going to have some good show notes on you considering that I am part of why you have the bio. Oh you, my, you're you amazing. Tell people, <laughs> can you please tell people uh, how they can find you online and all the good things yeah. about you? Where can people Yeah, find so you? Uh, first of all, let me say thank you so much for having me on. This has been a treat. I, I'm so glad that I got my act together in the minutes beforehand because I was a nervous wreck. But uh, davidrichardsauthor.com. So um, other podcasts there. My blog is there. Uh, you can find out information about my books, about finding your purpose or mastering your mind. And then David Richards, author on Instagram. And I think it's David Richards, a two on Twitter, but I rarely tweet outside of forwarding my Instagram posts. So. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for coming on and you'll have to join me. Definitely, again. Thank you. So as promised in the intro, I told you we bounce around from topic to topic and we just had a fun time just discussing all the things we love to talk about 
I feel like David and I can just go from so many different topics about spirituality to another. And it's just the seamless line of communication. So bringing it back to healing today, because I love to do that. It's, I think, the uh, the teacher in me, which I never used to think I was a teacher, but I've been told that I have those qualities. So bringing that back for you guys, you know, and exploring within yourselves what this conversation was, I want to bring it back to something more abstract than I usually do. And it's that we talked about how when you're really mindfully listening to something, you can really pick up on so much information and so much thought that you normally just like kind of let go by and go past you. So what I want to know is, you know, did you mindfully listen to this podcast or could you not? You know, I definitely listen to podcasts where I'm doing the dishes and sometimes I I get lost in my train of thought or what I'm doing and I miss part of the podcast or whatnot. So pay attention and just be mindful of that. Did you do that or were you here actively listening the whole time? And what are the pieces of the conversation that stuck out to you and why? Do you think they're messages from spirit? Take a look at that one this time. Thank you as always for listening. I love you with all my heart and I thank you for your support and I'll catch you next time. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you like what you heard, please take a moment to subscribe and rate and review it wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'd really appreciate that. You can also find me on Instagram at Healing with Mona. And visit my website at www.consciousthealingco.com and send me a message there if you want to work with me one-on-one. Until next time, this is Mona Loring signing off and sending you all the good vibes.